kind of feels weird normally I introduce myself when I stand up to speak, but I already introduced myself. Well, welcome. Um, as you've been, if you've been coming to church over the last few weeks, you'll be aware we've been doing a series called Emotionally, Spiritually Healthy Church. Well, we're going to be starting a, a new series that I have the opportunity to kick off and called Generosity. For the next five or six weeks, we're going to be doing a series called Generosity. Yeah, brilliant. So there. Now, one of the first things I want to just state um, before kind of we're going to go into this series, often I don't know what's your mind. When you hear this word generosity, you might be thinking, oh, they're going to be talking about money. We are going to be talking about it, but generosity is more than just to do with money. You know, I've been thinking about it. It's, it's to do with an attitude of the heart. It's about a way of doing life. It's a way of reflecting God's nature uh, and God's character. Generosity is to do with representing Jesus to our communities, to those that we interact with. Generosity is a characteristic of the kingdom of God. You know, when we pray the prayer that Jesus taught us, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, one of the manifestations of that reality is a release of generosity. And in some ways that should be a good enough reason just to talk about Generosity, but often when I start off a series, I'd really like to anchor it in, like, why are we doing this? You know, if you're coming to church, you, you often hear that we're doing a series on this, and you might be thinking, why are they doing that series? Why don't they do a series on this? And so I really like to kind of say, this is why we're doing it. This is what it's about. This is what, how we're trying to grow individually and corporately as a church. And so one of the reasons why we're doing this series, because it seems to be quite an important theme in the Bible. And we are a biblically based church. We believe that the Bible is the word of God and we want to live our our lives in a way that reflects what we read in the Bible. Now, I didn't do this because I haven't got the time to do it, but I'm told that there are, the word give is found in the Bible 2,100 times. You might think something like love might be referenced more, but actually love is only used 700 times in the Bible. And I was thinking about that. Why? And I think you can't truly love without giving. You can give without loving, but the essence of love is at some point it will give. If you really love somebody or something or some issue, at some point it will begin to affect how you use your time, energy, and money. Does that make sense? And so that's why I think giving and generosity is, is so important. It's to do with love. It's to do with an outward manifestation of love. It's to do with the talents, it's to do with the time, it's to do with the energy, it's to do with the gifts that God has given us. Secondly, we want to touch upon this uh, subject because uh, if you ever hear us speaking about what we feel like God's called us to do as a church, we often use this phrase, leading our communities into life. Whatever community that may be for you, it might be a geographical location, Winchester, I live in um, Bishopstoke near Eastleigh, it might be a community in the sense of the school gate, the university, the workplace, the dolky, whatever the community means to you, we want to bring that community into the living reality of an encounter with God because we know that's ultimately what they need, the peace and the hope and the joy that that brings. And for that to happen, there needs to be generosity. There's no way we can bring our communities into life unless we are generous with our time, with our energy, with our money, with who we are. And so that's kind of why we're, we're looking at this new topic of generosity. 
But ironically, even though it's a new series, in some ways its root and its foundation of this series is linked to our last series. When we were talking about emotionally healthy spirituality. You know, when we're doing that series, hopefully you remember this because it wasn't that long ago. We were talking about how our past often affects our present and how we need to rearrange the way that we do our lives. Nigel, last week and Joe, the, the week before that, we're talking about rules of life, ways that we do life become more emotionally, healthily spiritual. And I believe those same principles apply in the sense of growing to become more generous. You see, how generous we are is kind of, I think, a reflection of a few different areas. I think, firstly, it's a reflection of our upbringing. And I think also it's a reflection, often, of our understanding of God. It can vary greatly when we talk about generosity. It can vary greatly. One can be very generous in one area, maybe not so generous in the other area. I was brought up in a family where, generally, I'd say we're very generous with our time and our resources. But I was less aware of it, of generosity, when it came to things like hospitality and finances. It could have been because financially things were tight, but it could be other reasons. Then I married Katie. Katie's very different. That's my wife, Katie, at the front. And uh, now her heritage and background, her family is incredibly generous. If you've ever been on a quiet day, sometimes as a church we run these quiet days, kind of coming up to Easter or coming up to Christmas, and Katie's mum runs them. And if you've ever been to the way that they open their house and the way they just do hospitality is just phenomenal. We have a phrase in our family that Katie's mum never knownly under caters. Just like, <laughs> you don't worry what you're going to eat. You know, when, when Katie's parents say they want to do Christmas, nobody complains. It's like, yeah, you do Christmas. Because uh, we know there's going to be uh, lots of food. And Katie also is incredibly generous. If anything, I have to stop her from giving everything away. <laughs> but, um, however, it's more than to do with just stuff. See, some of the most generous people I know financially are some of the people you'd say are the poorest if you look to their bank statement. Some of the people who I know, I know are most generous with the time are some of the busiest people I know if you look at what they're trying to achieve in their week. And so generosity, like I said right at the beginning, is to do with an attitude of heart. It's a mindset. See, people generally find the time and the money to do the things that we want, if we're truthful. If we really want to do something, we'll find the time and energy. So it's to do with an attitude. It's to do with living out of that conviction. There used to be a song around a few years ago, all I have is yours, and, and laying it at your feet. That attitude is like, God, all that I have, all that you've given to me, and laying it at your feet, it belongs to you. Generosity has to do with our perspective of God more than it has to do with what actually physically we may have. Nigel, when he was doing the talk last week, he came up with this quote. And if you weren't here last week, he gave this quote and he said, you will only be able to love when you understand how much you are loved. It's a great phrase. You could go away and just, you know, I could say take 10 or 15 minutes just to chew over that. And when that came up, I kind of just in my mind, knowing I was going to be doing this talk in generosity, I kind of just paraphrased it and I felt... You'll only be as generous as you understand how generous God is. As we understand how generous God is, 
then we'll become more generous. And that's why I want to start here, because I believe unless we get this right understanding and concept of God, whatever else we do in the rest of this series and different people speaking, we've got quite a range of speakers speaking this time. We can get challenged, we can get stirred up, and we can rearrange our lives, but it might only last a period of time if we do not have the revelation and understanding that will underpin a lifestyle of generosity. And so that's what I want to start to, because often, because of our background, because of our understanding of God is skewed, we don't really understand how good and generous God is. Because if we say we're followers of Jesus... If we say we're children of God, we should reflect our Father. Yeah? And our Father is generous. Like many things, though, we kind of know the theory, but it doesn't always outwork itself in reality. Is that right? I mean, I could stand here and I, you know, I could do a quiz and we can say God is love, God is powerful, God is generous. We know the right answer, but it doesn't always affect and outwork itself in our lives. Is that, is that just me? Maybe I should just preach this talk to myself, whatever. And I think that's really the same when it comes to generosity. So we can do verses like James 1, 17. There used to be a, a vineyard song, you know, every good and perfect gift comes from you. We sing songs like good, good father, and that is really good. However, often the way that we live, one would think that we think that God is limited, that we think that God is um, and stingy, uh, unwilling to give. So often we live with a kind of poverty mentality. And so my main aim this evening is really just to expand our hearts, to kind of go over some truths that we know already. And my prayer is, God, in my life, in your life, just give us a revelation of your generosity. Because one's level of generosity, one's level of following Jesus in this area will never rise above your understanding in that area. You could apply that to any area of the Christian Life. Your understanding will never progress. Often when I'm helping people, like for example, grow in worship, I can't actually play a, a musical instrument. I can't actually sing in tune. And um, but I often say to worship people, what I can do is I know that as you get a deeper and greater revelation of God and you help lead the congregation in that, the level of worship would naturally increase. Same in my work where I, I work... Uh, most of my work is just training people to go and work amongst Muslims. I can try to stir them up and challenge them, but I know ultimately if I can get them to see the love and the goodness of God in his heart for the nations, then that will naturally flow. And it's the same with generosity. So when we start thinking about generosity, we see it right there, right from the beginning of the Bible in um, Genesis. Let's check this is all working. Yeah, Brilliant. God's creation just shows his generosity. So this is a picture of the the Milky Way. Now, the Milky Way has billions of stars in it. This is the Milky Way galaxy, the one the Earth is in. We're told, so I'm told, because I'm not a fountain of all knowledge, that there's hundreds of billions of galaxies. Wow, it just might just do, well, let's just create one galaxy. I mean, that would have been phenomenal enough as it was. He created an uh, abundance. Even if I looked at the Milky Way, if I counted one star a second, it would take me 2,500 years to count every star just in the Milky Way. Wow. That's, that, that should cause worship. Then you just start looking about what we had on Earth. 
I don't know about you, but I, I love kind of the David Attenborough, um, um, Blue Planet, and some of the, the stuff he does. Because whenever I, I just look at it, some of you I can see going, yeah, some of you are like, that's really boring. And uh, I just love it because I just go, for me, it's just like another worship service. Because I just look at it and go, wow, look at his creation. Again, I'm told it's like between 7 and 15 million animals. They discover around 10,000 new animal species every year. There's 270,000 different types of flowers. I mean, and each one of those is, is different. You know, Katie and I went up for a walk this morning just in a kind of local field. And just the different trees and the flowers and the colors. God doesn't do things by halves. He is such an amazing, generous, good father. Creation just screams it out to us. So we see it in creation. And again, we see it through some of the other stories in the Bible. This is a, a quail. In case you're wondering what a quail is like. Uh, you get them, you actually get them in Egypt. Um, they're not that great to eat. It's too much, too much bone. <laughs> I take it from me. But there's a story in the Bible where, um, the Israelites were kind of like frustrated and they were in the middle of the desert and they were like, we're just hungry. Give us meat. And so they, they kind of complained to God. Moses, who was the leader at the time, went and God says, I'm going to send them quail. So the Israelites were kind of in the middle of a, a desert. A region about, I'm reading from a, a, an extract from a book. He kind of did the research for me. A region about 50 miles inland from the Mediterranean and 50 miles southwest of the desert sea. The significance is this. Quails tend to live by water. and They don't fly long distances. If it hadn't been for the supernatural wind, they would have never made it this far inland. So it was a meteorological miracle. And then it begins to rain quails. And we're told in the story that God sent so many quails that the Israelites could walk a day's journey in any direction, and there were quails. A day's walk for a Jew was anywhere approximately 15 miles in any direction. So if you do the math and you square the radius and multiply by pi, we're talking about an area about 700 square miles. Greater London is about 600 square miles. So just think about Greater London, and it's just full of quails, or these birds. I mean, that's like massive. Now, somebody had lots of time. We're told also in the scripture they were piled some places three feet high. So somebody has more time than I had, just did the math on it, and calculated there's probably about 105 million quail. That is a lot of quail. <laughs> you know, and it's like... God's just not like, okay, I don't know how many people were there, but there weren't 105 million Israelites. He's just like, I want to just give you. And I just love the story. This guy says here, one of the reasons I love this miracle is because it's a miracle pun. The miracle is recorded in the book of Numbers. The Greek name for Numbers is Arimorphoi. That's where we get our word arithmetic. So recorded in the book of arithmetic is a miracle that doesn't even begin to add up. And it's like, wow. And so just the generosity there. Another well-known passage is um, Psalm 23. It's often a passage that people um, learn as a child. 
We often actually do when people are going through hard times. And if you know about the passage, it just talks about God being our good shepherd. And it says, you know, that we will lack nothing. And then near the end of the, the passage, you get these verses where he says, God is saying, I have prepared a table for you in the presence of your enemies. I anoint your head with oil. Your cup overflows. Now, the reason I put a picture is because I think sometimes uh, in our kind of Western mentality, when we think about God preparing a table for you, we just kind of think about enough. I don't know about if you can cook in your family, but we have this thing in the West where generally we invite guests to our house and we want to feed them well, but we don't want to have too many leftovers. That's the average, generally the, in the, the West. We kind of like, we want to make sure they get to eat, but we don't want our refrigerator to be stuck with leftovers that we're eating the same thing for day upon day. So we have this kind of like enough mentality. I think some of it is maybe just rooted in our, in our past, uh, you know, during the wars where there was limited, when there was rationing. But I think this mindset affects, and the reason I bring it up is, you see, you know, Kate and I, we lived in the Middle East for nearly 11 years. That They don't have that mindset. And that mindset, when they think about, it took me a while to find this picture because I kept finding Western tables where there's hardly anything on there. In the kind of Middle East mindset, you want to have at least probably nearly twice as much food left over as you are given. You know, there's, there's such generosity. You know, I've been in different parts of the world where I know that I've been given some meat, which might not sound that significant to you, but I know that's probably the only meat they might have that month. Or maybe, you know, that might be the only meat they have like that a year sometimes, literally. And so they have that generosity. And so we need to just begin to do that. When we think about God giving us a table, I think sometimes we just think God's just got enough. I think that's sometimes why we're not that hungry for some things of presence of God. is because we think, well, so-and-so needs that food more than I do. You know, I know sometimes people come to, uh, I say to people, why didn't you come to the front to get prayer? And it's like, well, you know, I could have done with some prayer, but I'm sure other people needed it more than I did. It's like, no, God has got enough love. God has got enough power. God has got enough healing. Fill in the gap wherever you're crying out to God for. He is a good father and he has an abundance. And that needs to begin to fit into our mind. I said this morning and I'll say it again this evening. We need to become less British and more Christian or more followers of Jesus. Less British in our mindset. We put our conception, often we, our understanding of our fathers and our understanding of our culture, as soon as we put that image upon God, rather than allowing the truth of God to shape us. Does that make sense? As we need to see God's, just his generosity. He is just so generous. And he's wanting to, us to just eat more and take more. If you've been in the Middle East, and I've seen this in other countries, but particularly in the Middle East, because that's where I spent a chunk of my life, you kind of eat away, they're finished, you've eaten, and then they go, oh, I need to come out with our right there. Which is like, you've got to eat more. You're like, I can't eat anymore. And they're like, no, you haven't eaten anything. And I feel like God's sometimes saying that to us. It's like, oh, yeah, I had a good time in God's presence. And God's saying, I've got so much more for you. Eat, eat, don't just pick at it. Eat, there's so much more. We gotta understand the generosity and the goodness and the abundance of the Father. And the story after story in the Old Testament I could go through and I just picked in a few. 
And now I just shift into the New Testament because in some ways it's pictured best in Jesus. And even what we're going to be celebrating later on, this is a demonstration of the generosity of God. God. Jesus is just coming to earth because he was just so generous. It says in John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten son. There was a generosity give his son Jesus. And then Jesus comes, and in some ways, he did many things, but one of the things that he came to do, we're told in John, is to reflect the Father. And one of the things that sometimes we look at him, we think it reflects the Father and the love and the grace and so forth, and that's all true. But he also reflected the generosity of God. The first miracle recorded in John was when uh, Jesus was at a wedding banquet and they ran out of wine. Again, I, not, I didn't do the math. I've got people that do better math. I'm told that he produced probably about between 500 and 700 liters of wine. That, I don't drink wine. I'd be a lot happier if he turned it into Coca-Cola. But if I was there. But uh, that's a lot. It's not like, oh, just have a little bit. Just have like a bit like we have at communion. You just have a little bit. It's like, oh, there's a generosity. We know the stories of Jesus coming and feeding 4,000 and 5,000 people. For me, I look at that sometimes and I think that's generous. He fed them. If you just give them a little bit, like, you know, like when you go in airline planes and they just give you like a little meal. You know, if you just done that, I think that would be good enough. I'm thinking like, be thankful I gave you something. I mean, that's a reflection maybe in my heart. But it's like, no. You know, we're told in one passage, you know, feeding the 4,000, there were seven baskets left. Feeding the 5,000, there were 12 baskets. Don't think like one of those baskets, you know, little bowls we have. You know, these baskets were like this high, this big. There was a lot of leftovers. He was a generous God is in his nature. There's a, a well-known parable that uh, Jesus t- told. And it's sometimes called the, the parable of the prodigal son. It's found in Luke 15. If you don't know the story, just to kind of give you a quick, this is what the story's about. There was a, a father and he had two sons. And um, the eldest son came to his father and said, you know, father, I don't want to wait till you die to get the inheritance. Give it to me. So the father said, okay. And he took it and he just uh, wasted it. I'm not totally sure how, but he ended up in a period of time and he didn't have any uh, money left. And he was just living in the squalors. And he thought, you know what? I'm going to go back to my dad because even my dad's servants um, seem to have more than I have. So he kind of humbly goes back to his dad. I'm going to eat humble pie and just say, dad, just take me on as your servant. I don't deserve anything else. And, uh, and the father just kind of sees him and kind of runs and uh, take it from me in the Middle East. The men don't run. Actually, anybody runs. And, uh, and just embraces him, brings him in and says, you know, my son, it's great to have you back. And he puts a ring on him to say, you know, you are my son. You're my child. I want to acknowledge you. I want to recognize you in front of the whole community. This is not something we're going to do through the kind of like sneak you in through the back door. You know, I'm, I'm really proud of you going to put the robe upon him and kills a fatted calf. There's a huge party. And that's the kind of the, the, the father's heart. And uh, I was reading something recently because for you, I don't know about you, but for me, I often thought the word prodigal was bad. I kind of like, that's the prodigal son, that's what we call him, the person who went away. But somebody was saying, you know, we should call it the, the parable of the prodigal father. You see what prodigal means? It means extremely generous lavish, 
extremely abundant, profuse, elaborate, opulent, luxurious. And I thought, yeah, he's right. We could call this parable the prodigal father because that is what the father is like. He's extremely abundant. He's extremely generous. He's lavish. I mean, when I think about lavish, I just think like, you know, when you have like some food or something and you just, um, I just think like, you know, ice cream, you know, and you, you just, you just put on the chocolate sauce and it's not just like a drop, you know, it's just, it's all over a chocolate fudge cake and it's just like, it's just going to ooze in with, I'm getting you all salivating now, aren't you? There are going to be some smoothies and popcorn later, but he's just going to like, wow, he's not just like a little bit. And I just think that is a father's heart. That's what I want to get. That's what we need to get. We need to see how lavish, how extremely abundant. And I think sometimes we just think of God as just having a little bit more enough. It's like, no, that's not what I'm like. I'm way better. I feel like God's going to say, I'm way, way better than you think I am. However much you think I am generous, I am even more generous than that. And my prayer for you and my prayer for me and my prayer for this church is, God, open our eyes. Give us a spirit of wisdom and a revelation that we would see how generous you are. And that we would live from that place. Coming into kind of land and sense of what does this look like practically? But well, that links very much into my first point here. Growing in generosity kind of links into what we said before. Making, reflecting on God's generosity a rhythm of life. You know, I just had literally 20 minutes and I really chose as many stories I could to cram in that would just begin to stretch our hearts and our minds about how God, good, generous God is. But I know how easy it is for life circumstances and situations where we become aware of our limitations that we begin to shrink. And so we need to make it a way of life, to use what Nigel said, uh, a rule of life, of tr- taking time out regularly just to contemplate God's generosity. You know, I got in a little bit of advantage because obviously I knew I was going to be doing this talk and I tend to prepare beforehand. And, um, and I've taken a lot of time this week when I've been driving, just thinking through these stories, just saying, God, I just placed myself in this place where help me begin to change my attitude and my perception of you. Let me see your generosity to such a level that people will know that I are gazing upon you because it's beginning to outwork itself in my life. And however that looks to you, we've got to figure out a way to do it. Secondly, um, we need to do an audit. Audit is going to when you're just going to like figure out what you have. In some ways, when it comes to finances, that's the easiest thing because you can just look at your bank statement. But some of the other areas I've been talking about in terms of generosity, sometimes it just takes time to think about it. What has God given you? Each one of us has been given skills and talents from God. And one of the things I feel is right is really important because later on in this series, we'll be talking about what God might be challenging us to do with those things. But you can't do anything with it unless you know you have it. If I had more time and we were doing this in a small group setting, I'd say break into groups and just begin to share with people. It's always amazing when you begin to discover what people have. Sometimes I go to these conferences and um, 
I don't know why, but some of the conferences I go to uh, in relation to my work with um, Frontiers, this mission organization, they have what's called a talent night at the end of the week. And uh, I'm all vice brown. I hate it because I don't really have like this kind of talent. But you know when you go to these things and you see people and you think, wow, I didn't know they could do that. That's just such a crazy talent. It might sometimes be a bit quirky, but they just do it. And you think, oh, wow. And we have so many talents. It's easy to kind of look and think, well, they've got that talent. or they've got this skill. They've got that ability. But we each got one. And we need to begin to become more aware of what that is. And that's really important. I'm a, again and again in my life, as I, I seek just to help people grow and develop and become more like Jesus, I often meet people and they go, oh, I don't have anything. And then you speak to somebody else and you say, oh, yeah, you should speak to so-and-so. They're just so creative. And they've just got this great creative gift. And, you know, if you speak to that person, they're like, no, no. The one I find often is with, with cooks. I don't know, you know. I don't know how many people... I go to houses and uh, cooks, and you go, oh, that's a really amazing meal. And they go, oh, no, no, it's just, it was rubbish. Well, this was wrong with it. Oh, that was wrong with it. I'm like, that was rubbish. Cook for me any day. <laughs> you know, you just, uh, and I, I just see this again where people just go, no, I don't have anything. And then you just discover that. They're just amazing, that DIY or, um, you know, uh, you know, it can be a whole range of things. You know, what's something that my, um, Casey's very good at is, is proofreading. And actually, Will, you're great at this as well. And uh, I'm not. <laughs> if you're ever on my mailing list, because I, I mail stuff out because of my, my work, you can always tell if Katie hasn't read it first. Because it's just everywhere, everywhere. I love it, actually. The other week, I'm showing on my wife's behalf, but that's fine. Somebody wrote a letter to her, and um, a kind of formal letter, because it was a business. Uh, and Katie just wrote back in a really nice and you know, gracious way and said, is this one of your kind of formal letters that you send everybody? You know, because sometimes people just have set letters they send out. Because if it is, you, you made this mistake and you might want to change it. And, uh, and I thought that's just that. That's just a gift, you know. And there's lots of other gifts that you can think of. But we tend to often people just kind of like, I haven't got anything. And that's why it's important to audit. Because we can't start talking about in future weeks kind of what we're going to do with these things until we acknowledge and say, God, you have made me for a reason and purpose. And you'll put gifts in us. Because so often, this came up in the, in the morning, I think it's important thing that actually Amy shared, which was, um, for many people, we want to be somebody else and not the person that God made us. And we're going to be a time, um, later on, we're going to have a time of ministry, and that might apply to you. I can't remember what Amy said. I think Amy said something to effect of, she stood up Sunday night, I do your impersonation, if I could do an Irish one. And, uh, and she said, I feel like God's saying, you know, God said, you know, I'm a pomegranate. I'm not a banana, I'm not an orange, I can't remember other illustrations. It's like, this is who you are. And you were made that way. The unique talents and skills that you have, nobody else has. And until you ordered them, until you recognize them, until you acknowledge them, then you can't move forward. And I think maybe I'm speaking to some of you. God called you to be who you are, not somebody else. Not your mum, not your dad, not your older sister, not your sibling, or anybody else. And if that's something that really hits and resounds with you, we'd really like to pray about that later on. Because we want to bless you for who you are and who God made you to. And the reason why I kind of hammer it on and make that important is because we can't do some of the rest of the points until we do your audit. You see, you can't lay something at God's feet unless you acknowledge it that you have it. 
To be really specific, it's very easy to say, God, I give you all that I have. But when we really say, God, I acknowledge that you have made me this way. You give me this money, you give me these resources, you give me these talents. Then we can lay it at God's feet. And my challenge to that is, what is God calling you to lay at his feet? What has God given you that has lain dormant for a while? I know there's seasons that people go through because of maybe having children or job situation. And sometimes you have to kind of put things to a side for a period of time. But again, I feel like God might be saying to some of you, it's time to resurrect some of those giftings. It might be something you haven't done for years. How he gave it to you and he wants you to give it back to him so he can give it back to you with his anointing and his power and his wisdom. Why is he calling you to give back to him? Thirdly, just changing perspective kind of links into three. These things that we lay at God's feet, these gifts, these money, these talents, these skills, they have been given to us from God for a reason. God is incredibly purposeful, generous. We've been blessed to be a blessing to other people. What does that mean? You know, if it's, you know, the most obvious one is, is finances. Maybe he's calling you to give to somebody or to give to something. Maybe uh, you've got time on your hand. God's just challenging you to rearrange the way you do your life so that you would have more time. Maybe he's calling you to get, give it to, uh, to help out a neighbor. It might be, you know, I was saying earlier on in this church, we talk about being hosts and guests. Maybe God's just challenging you to give some of your, some of your skills and your talents, your time, in relation to helping just things happen on an evening, on an evening like this, even on an evening like this, there's a whole load of different jobs and things that need to happen. Ultimately, whatever we need to do, we need to follow the example of Jesus. And give these things back to him, and let him work through us. I'm just going to finish this section before we come on to response and communion by just talking about another um, parable that Jesus Shared because I think it reflects this idea of the things that God's given to us and giving those, even though there might be a cost to see change and transformation. And it's a parable called the, the, the Good Samaritan. It's one of these ones that we, I used to have as a kid. And the story was um, uh, Jesus tells this parable. And there was a man who was going from Jerusalem to Jericho. And on his way, he gets beaten up by robbers. That's why I used to love it as a, as a child. It was the only time in church you were allowed to beat people up. And, uh, and it was good because it was in the Bible. And, uh, and so this man just got really just beaten up and battered. And in the story, we get various religious people that come along. And uh, we get like a Levi, we get a righteous man. And they kind of just walk past him and leave him. And then this person, a good Samaritan, comes along and helps him out. And I will say a little bit about the good Samaritan in a minute. And I remember used to thinking, why these religious people, you know, left him? I thought, that's going to heartless. But then I, as I began to understand the culture more and I read more of the Old, Old Testament, I realized that they were facing a choice that each one of us has to make. Because if we're going to be generous, there's a cost. The cost to them was various. The, the people often say, well, you know, if they stopped, they might have got robbed as well. That's possible. But for any person whose job was religious and that kind of, sent in a, a kind of scenario of the temple 
if they touched a dead person, it meant they were unclean. And in that culture, that would bring incredible shame upon them. And because they were unclean, they would not be able to do their job for a while. So there was a cost and sense of shame in the community, their whole embarrassment, and that's kind of hard to communicate in this Western context. But there was also a physical cost. They would not be able to do their job. And so they chose not to be generous. Now, the good Samaritan came along. And again, we often, if you know this story, people go, well, if you know anything, Samaritans hated um, you know, Jews. And that's sometimes hard for us to grasp, even in this culture. I used to love sharing this story in the Middle East. And um, depending on the context, I've changed the characters. So when I was with, um, uh, when we were in Lebanon and we were working with kind of Hamas and Hezbollah, I used to say that the... Uh, the person who got beaten up was a Hezbollah fighter and the good Samaritan was a Jew. Uh, that really messed with their mind, if you know anything about that culture. And then when I met, um, I've met Jewish people before and I've just changed it. And there the, was a Jewish person um, who got beaten up and it was a Hezbollah fighter that helped them out. Again, in Egypt with the uh, Orthodox church and the, what they call the Muslim Brotherhood, the people with the big beards. And so ways you begin to get the idea that for them, that was a huge thing. This good Samaritan, he was having to make a huge cost. He was having to be incredibly generous. He had to cross cultural barriers. You know, if anybody found out about that, that would be, be quite serious. He would have to get messy. This guy was just beaten up and bloodied. You know, blood is hard to wash off. If you ever had a whole load of blood in you, it's not easy to wash off. His clothes are going to get ruined. And he said, you know, I'm going to provide for this guy, and I'm going to keep providing. I don't know how much money that was. I mean, that was a step of faith in itself. He's just saying, I'm going to provide. And one of my prayers I was praying, you know, this evening is for myself, for us as a church, I want us to be good Samaritans. I want us to be generous in a way that affects our attitude. Because I mean, that links into your attitude to go to your enemies. It's one thing to be generous to those you get on with. That isn't that hard sometimes. But to be generous to those who hate you, that is radical following Jesus. A generosity that's not just a little bit on the side and the spare, but that really costs you. That is what we're called to do. That's what is a challenge to me. That's why it's a challenge to us. That's difficult. But that's kind of what we're looking at. But we can only do that when we've seen the generosity of God. God doesn't call us something that he hasn't done himself. He stepped across cultures. He took the great cost. That's what we're celebrating this evening in communion. That's why it was so important and I hammered it forth. Till we see communion and what Jesus did on the cross, till we look at these stories and we grasp it, then it just looks like, oh, that's hard. But when we see that he's the one, he calls us into this. This is the one as we follow Jesus. This is Christ in us, working through us. Then it begins to begin to be a possibility, to become a reality, because that's what our world needs. That's what makes us different and radical. 
And so we're going to have a time of ministry in a minute, and we're going to respond to different things, including the one I've mentioned already about maybe a time to let go or bring somebody out and becoming what God wants to do. But I also want to have an opportunity just to re- respond to and take time to focus in on God's generosity. It's not a jump of verse. There's a verse in Romans 12, uh, verse 1. And it says, Beloved friends, what should be our proper response to God's marvelous mercies? Or to put it in the language of what we're doing, talking about tonight and the coming weeks. Beloved friends, what should be our proper response to God's marvelous generosity? This is God's marvelous generosity. And this is Paul Ryan. Paul Ryan and Paul's Paul, I encourage you to surrender yourselves to God to be his sacred living sacrifices. And so as we come to remember the life and the death and the resurrection, Katie and Amy, when you come to the, the front, just, just get it ready. I think we're just going to have one communion thing. If you get the one which is gluten-free, And um, we're going to just take time and just look at that. And in view of this generosity, in view of this goodness, what is our response to say, thank you, God. I want to give you all that I am. And so as you're going to come to the, the front, we're going to have two, brilliant. Uh, gluten be free <laughs> here at... Do you know which is gluten-free? Yeah. Okay, is that gluten-free? Okay, so gluten-free is going to be on this side. And as you come to the front, it's more than just celebrating communion. I'd encourage you as you go to the front, as you take it, partly just focusing again on what's happened, generosity, but also as a kind of response saying, God, thank you. And in view of this generosity, I want to just give myself Fresh to you. So I'm going to pray, and then I'd encourage you, uh, if you call yourself a follower of Jesus, just to come up to whichever station you want to, and just to participate and ponder this generosity. Say, so God, I, you're such a generous God. And in some way, I can't describe your generosity because I've got nothing to compare it with, and and even when I talk about the cross and you dying, my mind doesn't fully understand it. I've read the stories, I've seen the films, and yet that's just a tiny glimpse into the enormous generosity of your heart. But God, the little bit I see, the little bit that we see, we say thank you. And God, as we come to receive your generosity, as we come to remember your generosity, Break our hearts, God. Expand our hearts, God. Change our hearts, God. And in view of this, God, let us give ourselves afresh to you as living sacrifice.